0: Lord, we love you, God, and um, we thank you for your love for us, Lord, we thank you for a place uh, to come as we are. Lord, uh, whether we are, are cynics and skeptics, or we are, are limping along in our faith, or we are, are thriving, running full headlong uh, into your arms and mission, God, I, I thank you that there is a place for each one of us. But I pray that in great honesty we would bring our understanding and questions to you, and Lord, knowing that there is no, no wisdom greater than yours, no promise uh, that, that, that exceeds yours in its strength, and Lord, no love and truth that can transform like you. So God, we give you this time. Lord, I pray right now that you would speak through me, Lord, that your truth, as, as Megan prayed and said, Lord, that it would be your word that is delivered today, not some eloquence of my own. Um, And Lord, that you would take the words that pass through my lips, catch them fire in our hearts. Lord, transform us in our lives. Lord, offer your glory in the good of those around us. So Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans 5 as we continue to study through Romans. Um, We're going to look at the first five verses of Romans 5 today, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Um, You know, as we've been working through this, um, the point has already been made, has been stated and proven that we are justified. That's another word for saved, by grace through faith in Christ alone. Paul has been just hammering that home. He's been just blowing your arguments out of the water. He's been reading your mail and just addressing it over and over again, and he's going to continue to do that. So we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not by works or in some of the terminology here, by by adherence to the law. And, we, and now as we keep moving, as Paul has continued just to, as he's continuing just to lay out this life in Christ of, of, of again, of faith, as he's continuing to lay it out, we're going to see two of the greatest outcomes of our salvation in Christ today in these first five verses. And, we're, and this is really a, a two-week um, theme, so we'll, we'll be kind of going deeper into um, what we learned today next week um, so I want to go ahead and just read in full we're going to just jump right in read in full our text for today Romans 5 1 through 5 y'all read with me um, if you have a if you're if you don't have a Bible text will be on the screen you can also use the u Bible app um, if you go to the more tab at the bottom right uh, you'll see events click that will pop up with uh, kind of some some helps along with the, the text for today um, if you don't have a Bible there's one under a ch- under a chair near you please take that if you don't have one that's our gift to you Um but Romans 5, 1 through 5, here we go. All right. Therefore, and, and this therefore, we always have to ask what it's there for. It's everything I just said. So therefore, because we know that we are justified by grace through faith alone in Christ, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So, just getting right after it, the first, um, the first outcome is that we have Peace. We see very clearly here that we have peace through Him. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about this, this great outcome, this, this promise of peace, it, it should be, it should, hopefully it stirs up some, some longing in you. Again, as, as Megan said a second ago, our, our world has difficulties. Um, to, to use uh, some biblical language, it's fallen, it's broken, it's hurting, it's incomplete, it's fractured. And we see it, and so we hopefully when we see this promise of peace, that it, it stirs up this longing of, hey, I want to hear more, and I want to actually know, what this means, how it's real. And I will say this, when we think of peace, we often think of the external experience of peace, whether it be the world around us, and we, and we, we call into question, like, okay, is there really peace in God? Is there really peace with God? Because, because there's, there's war, there's death, there's destruction, there's deceit, there's injustice. And we're like, okay, so we long for that. We long for that kind of peace. We also long for for this inner tranquility. And we know that there is a promise of that peace in God, that kind of peace where there is an inner peace, the shalom, that completeness. And, you know, we we talk about Jesus being the prince of peace and that the work that he does is not just the external, but in our hearts and his peace overwhelms us. So there is that very real sense that we can experience peace in our hearts and our minds. But what we see here is talking about something a little different. It's not excluding those things. So it's not just inner tranquility, it's not just circumstantial, but notice that it says this, it says peace with God, peace with God. Because Jesus acted on our behalf, and again, I'm using some assumed language because we've been building this bridge, this foundation for the past few months as we've been working in Rome, so so have patience and bear with me if there are words you're like, man, I, I don't quite get that. I would love a follow-up conversation or just go read back through Romans up to this point after today if you're kind of finding some of those things. But but so bear with me because we are using some assumed language of what we've been building this far. But, but what we see is that because Jesus acted on our behalf, if, as Paul has been laying out over and over again, he advocated... For us, through his atoning sacrifice, he took on the punishment and wrath that we deserve, and he gave us victory in his resurrection. He presented the sacrifice before God as he resurrected, and therefore we stand victorious with him. Because of that, we have peace with God. That's what we're saying here. That's what Paul's saying. The greatest truth here is that we have peace with God. And what that means is that there was a moment that we didn't have peace with God. And to say it more explicitly, we were enemies of God. That is the reality of this. What Paul is saying, the marvel is that we went from being enemies of God, being objects of His wrath because of His holy righteousness that that we were called to, created for, that we were marred from and separated from. We were under His wrath, as we see in Ephesians 2, 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were enemies of God, but in Christ, as he advocated, as we unfolded last week, I'm so thankful for how Paul so vividly unfolded that work of his sacrifice. The blood that was shed in the public sphere for all to see was for our sin. And then as he ascended, he presented on our behalf the the righteous blood for us. So he advocated for us. We are reconciled, and that's, man, next week, We get to talk a lot about reconciliation a lot more. Um, But he, he reconciled us to God. Therefore, we are no longer at wrath with God, but we are at peace with God. Jesus Christ is our way to peace. Paul's making it really clear. He is everything. So we have peace with God, the creator of all things, the one who determines right and wrong. He is the holy one. He is the creator. We are the creator. We have peace with this God. And, I, and as I look at what's ahead, we definitely wade towards the end of this sermon. And I have a tension of moving on right now. Because like, I don't want us to miss that. But we've been talking about this a lot as we've been coming to this point. But to, to, uh, and so I prayerfully just take a moment and think, like let it sink in That if God is who he says he is, and he is worthy of our lives, of our worship, his holy standard is right and pure, and it's what we should long for, and there's no way to get there outside of Christ, we were at odds, we were enemies, and now we are at peace. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Just let it sink in for a minute that we have peace with God because we have been justified by faith. That's the first great outcome. We have peace with God. So, again, we must move on. Um, But next we see that we've also been given hope. Verse 2 says this, Through Him, again, that's Jesus, we have also also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love that Paul reiterated once again, "It is in Christ, and it is by faith. He just is not going to let us get away from that. All because of Jesus, we can rejoice in hope of the glory of God." So, but, but there's two things about this hope we have to see first is how we got there, how we get you know how, how, uh, how we get to that hope, and then what it is to be in this hope. So, once again, by faith, um, are, are, we are brought into grace. So, grace, as referenced here, is, is not just the grace that allows us to be saved which is an absolute reality of a need for grace. Again, for us to be saved at all, it takes a great act of grace of God, grace being the unmerited favor. Again, what we talked about is all on the merit of Christ and the love of God and His mercy that we could be allowed into to be saved. So that is a, a great work of grace, the saving work of grace. But it's not just that that's being referenced here. This grace that is referenced here is how we stand. It is the grace in which we can stand and persevere in this life. This word for stand is the word histami. In Greek, it's to continue, to endure, to persist. It is to persevere. And thinking about, like, what, you know, like I don't know if that evokes thoughts in your mind of, like, what we are standing under. We're thinking about, like, okay, that, that, that connotes weight. It connotes, it connotes opposition. But like it calls us to this reality that, that there is something in which we have to persevere and stand. So the, the what's the greatest weight of this world? Is it our responsibilities? Is it is it again the death, destruction, corruption that's constantly bombarding us? I mean, again, just the tragedy of this week in Florida. Like that is that is a weight upon us. Like, how can we how can that keep happening? And it just seems like it's happening more and more. There's injustice around us every day. These are difficult. There's these are difficult, but there's there's a, a different and maybe even a greater weight upon our salvation. Because again, that's, that's a weight upon our conscience. It's a weight upon our confidence. But the context right here is talking about our justification, our salvation. So what is the weight in the way that we think of and experience our salvation? I would say the greatest weight is our own sin, our own humanity. Like the fact that if we confess Christ As Savior, which means we confess confess God as, as all that He is, as right and true and as sovereign, that He has done the work to satisfy and to redeem through Christ. If we confess that, then that means we have this longing and this affection to actually live unto God. We have it because it it, it makes sense, but also because God has changed us to where we long for that, but yet we are still confined in the flesh. We're still confined in our humanness, and so we still sin. And I would say that is the burden in view here when we're thinking about the weight upon our salvation. We are pronounced innocent, renewed, reconciled, and, and, and charged to go and sin no more, pursuing to be holy as Christ is holy for the sake of this world and God's glory. And yet, we sin. I mean, this morning I've just been struck I, like as I've said in this text this week, I have been it's been just like beautiful and liberating, and I've been like just marveling at the at the love of God and his hope and his peace. and yet when I, when I was sitting here this morning. Like, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I've just drifted into trying to teach something. I've just drifted away from all, like, this, this, this beautiful unfolding that God had done through this truth and reminding me of who I am and what he's done, and I've just drifted into this mindless kind of do-something. And so, again, like, we're, we're, we're fleshly. We're sinful. And, and I think that's such a great weight on our conscience. And yet, in the midst of our earnest great love for God, we're not, we see we're not where we want to be. We're earnest, we're sincere, we we surrender, we cry out, oh Lord, let this be the last time. Oh Lord, come on Lord, I need your help. I don't want this anymore. We've confessed those things so many times and yet once again, we find ourselves back there. We constantly are bogged down in our sin and our self. I mean, when that happens and we're thinking about our salvation, like how often do you put yourself back on trial as if the verdict was not already complete in Christ? How often do you think you got to stand before the judge again to see if it's stuck? How often are you wrecked over the thought of, of whether or not you've done enough or maybe you've done too much? How often do you look at the person next to you and see that you can't measure up to them, much less a holy God. Like, that's the weight that I think is in view of our salvation. But what we see here is because of God's grace, His unmerited favor given in Christ, we can stand in the midst of our own humanity with great confidence and peace and hope. As a matter of fact, says rejoice. We can celebrate in the midst of it. I love how Douglas Moo summarized this. He said, Here, however, grace is used with a slightly different nuance, denoting not the manner in which God acts or the gift that God gives, but the state or realm into which God's redeeming work transfers the believer. Grace describes the free, unconstrained manner in which God acts toward his creatures. The dividing wall has been demolished between us and God and Christ. His favor, his love bestowed upon us is unconstrained. Do you see that it says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God? Do you see that? The Greek word uh, for, for rejoice here, it translates, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I would do it horribly, but the Greek word here translates, it translates into this, to have confidence in, to have reason to boast, which is not what you would expect maybe, but to see, to rejoice in hope of the glory of God, is to say, hey, you stand with confidence knowing you have reason to boast in hope of the glory of God. You see, we have opportunity to see God's glory manifested for all the world to see. And, and, and this is motivating enough for us to, to strive for, for, for faithful lives. Like, just for the sake of knowing that God is worthy, like, the, if anything happens in this world that we are part of, it should be that God's glory is made known because he is the only, His glory is what draws people to Him. His glory is what proves Him true. And that's a worthy motivation. We should pursue that and we should be humble enough to say that's all I need but yet our hope is secure and strong because of God's promise and completed work and there's something much more personal here. There's something much more personal in our application here. Again, our hope is secure and strong because of, of the promise of God's completed work that Christ did in us. You see... This this is the word sanctification, right? Like we're, we're, we're saved, but then in the work of sanctification, we are immediately set apart as ones who were sinners, now made saints, set apart for His holy purpose. We are a people for Him, and so that is instantaneous. We have that position, that place. But then there's also the work over this of sanctification over a life of us being transformed, made more into his likeness. And so we live in the tension of the already not yet. What we're talking about here is this idea that as we hope in the glory of God, we're hoping in the completed work in us, and we have confidence that it will be done. As Philippians 1.6, being confident in this, that he has begun a good work in you will continue unto completion of the, or the day of Christ Jesus. So he's saying that upon salvation, you've been made new and there's a work that has begun. Your your standing is complete. You're saved, but yet you are being made more like him and you're being being freed up from the bounds of our flesh and sin. And there will be a day when those bounds are no more. The day that you are restored fully in Christ, whether it's the day that he returns for his church or the day that you go to him we see that we hope in the glory of God because that glory that we're talking about is the work that is complete in you. We hope in what is to come in that God's glory will be fully expressed in us, that work to come, as one God already considers as such because of the merit of Jesus given to us. We stand in confidence and we wait, knowing that that work will be fulfilled in us. We will not be in the flesh anymore. We will not be bound by our frailty anymore, knowing that God already sees us that way because He sees the righteousness of His Son. We hope in the fulfilled promise of God's glory in us. And we get to circle through this over and over again as we go through Romans. And we get to Romans 8.18 when Paul says, And I, can, I do not consider this present suffering worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So get excited about that. Let it sink in. So that's exciting news. We have peace with God and we live in great hope because his work will be complete. But we're also given something else. We're given this ability to rejoice in our sufferings. You're like, "Ah, that doesn't seem to be like the trajectory we were going. Let's look at verses 3 through the beginning of verse 5 here. Mm. Right here. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because... We're just going to stop there hope so so we see we can rejoice in suffering this is the same this this word for rejoice here is the same word that was just above so it's that that having reason to boast having confidence in so we can rejoice in our suffering i mean so so what's being said here first you know that's that's a clue of what we just said because we can look at this and say is this saying that we rejoice in spite of suffering, in the midst of suffering, or that we rejoice because of our suffering. You know, to be in spite of it's like we shake our fists at it in defiance, and we're like, we're not going to be affected by by suffering. We're just going to rejoice, and, you know, in the midst of, it's kind of like, I love suffering. This is awesome. Or is it because of suffering? I think my examples prove where we're going. The promise here is so much more than just that, i got to put on the brave face and just keep my head down and go. It's so much more than just being a glutton for punishment. It is not those things. I mean, when we're in our trials, to say that we rejoice, like, in a trial, like, that's not honest, right? Like, our tri- trials, they're horrible, they hurt, there's anguish, God would not tell us to cast all our cares upon him if we didn't have any cares. Like it hurts. We're not meant to be these like holy masochists longing for punishment as if we've got to seek out the most punishing, inflicting moments. The fallen world's taking care of that. The brokenness around us, in us, is taking care of that. There will always be anguish in our sufferings. So what we have to see is that we rejoice in response to our sufferings. We have reason to boast. We have confidence because of our sufferings for two reasons. One is because our suffering is temporary. And second is because of what Paul writes here. So before I move on to what Paul writes here, we just know, again, think about what we just alluded to what's coming, Romans 8:18. 8, I do not consider these present sufferings worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Like the, although this world comes to an end, it is not the end. And if you are in Christ, it is actually a glorious moment. It is the moment of hope fulfilled, the moment of glory revealed, the moment of all being made true and right once again. So we can see that it's temporary. We can overcome, but second, because of what Paul writes here, we rejoice in our suffering. We have confidence and in reason to boast because of what comes from it. This is why we can say it is because in response to suffering. When we go through suffering and God works in the midst of it, in and around us, we cannot help but grow stronger. We grow in endurance. A big part of endurance is knowing you can finish. So back in, in 2008, I was doing P90X for the first time. And there's this workout in P90X. It's the worst one. Does anybody? Well, it's the plyometrics. Thank you. Who said it? Yeah name got it. So Plyometrics, like, it is like, and it's funny, because I had 21 people going through P9X with me, and we were on the honor system, because there was wagers involved, and then we were on the honor system of whether or not you're doing it, and it was easy to know who's doing it, because you would ask them how it was going, and if they said, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's cool, it's hard, but it's cool, you knew they weren't doing it. Like, it was the people that were like, I hate this, it's horrible. You knew they were doing it. So there was, but, so I was doing P9X for the first time, and I had been doing it by myself, and I, and I've been, so I've been there, and I would get to Plyometrics, and, and not once did I ever make it through, I didn't make it halfway through this 60-minute workout. I mean, literally not even halfway, and I may or may not have, you know, seen my breakfast once again during some of those workouts, um, but I hadn't made it even halfway through. And then I do this one day with a buddy of mine, and we're doing plyo, and he pushes me to the point that I finish it. I go from not even getting half of it done to actually because this guy was relentless and... And, you know, other things. He, he got me to finish. And I'll tell you, from that day, whether I was with someone or I was by myself, I finished plyometrics every time. But part of, in, part of our growing in our endurance is growing in our confidence that God is actually faithful to do what he said. In his, and what's great is that we're not, conf, we're not growing in confidence of our strength. We're going and growing in confidence of who's, who God is in his strength. And so as we persevere through suffering we, we increase in endurance because we actually see the tr- the things that God claims become true. We see that they are true. And so we grow in endurance. It is the, n- the knowing that you can actually finish. It's knowing that you're not alone. Every time you go through suffering and you made it through to the other side... In some small way, you gain to understand that you 're not alone, one, that God is with you because He will never leave or forsake you, and then two, if you have a body of Christ, as megan said you 've got people to hold your arms up. You also grow in your endurance and your confidence, <coughs> excuse me, that our satisfaction is not in the things of this world, because suffering does not always resolve well, often it does not, and yet, when you can persevere with peace and hope once again your heart is just opened up a little bit more. Your longings are changed just a little bit that maybe the things of this world are not what's satisfied and what you're meant for. I love what C.S. Lewis said, and this might be a paraphrase, it might be exact, I don't know, um, because I'm quoting someone else quoting him. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, if you find it in yourself, something that cannot be satisfied in this world, wouldn't it mean that you were meant for another world? So we grow in confidence that our satisfaction is not just in this world, not in what we achieve, what we have, what we know, what we do. Our confidence also grows in our endurance that God and His cause is worthy. In your suffering, you're equipped to walk alongside someone else. In, his suffer- in this suffering, you see that, that God is faithful. you see that the, 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 the truest hope and the truest peace is only in Him, and every other message of hope and peace falls away. So suffering produces endurance. This results in a greater capacity of the expression of Christlike like character. So as you endure, you grow in character. This character results in greater hope because, again, And this, by the way, this hope is a hope that cannot and will not put us to shame. Our hope increases because we see the person of God proven all the more real and present and good. Remember, you're not alone. His way is worthy. He is good. We also see the will of God to be proven the same, good and right, over and over. So we talked about it last week. Hope. Our hope does not put us to shame, but calls us a sure thing. We're not found out to be fools. We will not be found out to be fools. We talked about last week that often when we say hope, we're we're speaking with with you know this idea of, of uncertainty. You know, we talked about, I, I, I hope I get the job. I hope I pass the test. I hope he or she says yes. I hope that they don't ask me out. I mean, those kind of things. You know, these, there's uncertainty to these. But what we see here is this hope is one of great certainty, of absolute certainty, because it is wrapped up in the person and character of God. So it will not be put to shame. And you think about suffering in this world, and we often look at that and say, well, how can God be real if there's so much suffering? But what we know is that all that God created, He created good. He created in love for His glory, and it was, it was perfect. And when sin entered the world, even evil entered the world. So we see suffering is not a detraction of who God is. Suffering is actually evidence of the presence of the enemy, of Satan, of his his desire to destroy, to distract, to deceive. When we face suffering with doubt or resentment, which we will, okay, let's, let's, let's be realistic. But when that's the pervasive posture through it, instead of growing in our confidence and joy, we will experience spiritual defeat. The joy and confidence of Christ will result in the victorious life. And that life is characterized by the attributes that Paul just laid out. So again, like doubt is part of faith, right? It's the, the collision of the, the, the limited, finite mind with the infinite, inexhaustible knowledge and understanding and love of God. But yet when it's not hemmed in by, by bringing it to the Lord, by saying, God, I don't get it. Here's my understanding. I trust you to illuminate, to bring understanding to me. I trust you to sustain me. That's, that's the perseverance of faith and hope. So our hope, it's a great comfort to know that our hope is not put to shame because it is, it is assured. But look in a minute, we're going to look at the work that God did to, to keep that real to you. But when we talk about this hope that is assured, this, this growing capacity, we're talking about a strengthened faith. Instead of our faith taking nick after nick, kind of experiencing that death of a thousand cuts, which we often kind of feel like is what our experience, what we see is the opportunity here is that if we, per, if we persevere and pursue in, in this way, <coughs> it can actually result In a strengthened faith, a hope, and faith that grows. You know the muscles that are worked hard, they grow stronger. The hands that work hard grow calloused. I've said this before, but it's worth saying saying again. We're we're invited into a life of purpose. Passion and hard work of pursuing the things of God, of walking in faith. Our faith is the instrument that which we employ when we are working in this world for the glory of God. I pray my faith that this instrument, these hands, are not soft and delicate from being untested, but rather, but rather that they would be, you know, stronger and leathery. That they would be. I mean, I think about you know these hands that I've seen that just have worked hard. That they're not just tough like they're 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 meaty like they're thick like there's like cuz there's like calcified bone underneath and so they just get bigger and thicker and I'm just like I mean like what size ring do you wear? Is it like a size 20? <coughs> and it's like cuz they just cuz their hands are constantly working and taking a beating and they develop this strength and this this ability to persevere and so they're they're stronger on the inside and then the outside what you see you see that there are scars you see that there are there are there are in, wounds inflicted I should close my water. Hmm. I've been needing to take a sip. I was just excited. But you see there's wounds inflicted, but actually the moment those places that those scars are are actually some of the strongest places in the hand because of the way that it heals and it grows stronger. And so I want my faith to be that way. It will take nicks. It will be wounded. But yet when I persevere and I bring it to God and I say, God, strengthen me. I need your help. We, we actually grow in our capacity of hope. We actually, our faith, grow stronger we don't want to be protected from all the wares of this world all the all that is weary we see here we see it in James we see it in first Peter that we when we endure suffering we are actually we actually are strengthened we understand God more we understand our need for him we are equipped greater all of that that's exactly what we're seeing here our faith will take hits but when we endure it grows stronger. So yes, our hope is a sure thing but there's an even greater reason that it will not put that it will not put us to shame. That it won't all fall apart in the end. Look at why Paul says so in the rest of verse 5. So picking up where we left off, because because again that because is our hope will not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. There's so much more assurance in this because it doesn't depend on our experience, but instead on the work of God. Even if you don't have any sense that this is true or real, God is showing you, no, I have done the work. I have poured my love into you by the Holy Spirit So that your hope will not put you to shame, whatever hope you have. To understand this, we must remember that in our sin, we are enemies of God, but He has changed that by the work of His Son, Jesus. Again, remember, we were at odds. Now we are in unity with Him. We are reconciled and restored. Paul is saying, how can we know that this favor, this being brought in instead of being an enemy, now there's favor upon favor upon us. How can we know that this favor will endure till the end? (coughs) excuse me, how can we know that God will not tire? Do you see what it says? I just want to pause, like, pray that our hearts get into this place to hear this. It says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. God poured his love into our hearts. We cannot diminish the astonishing reality that God loves us when we think of how and why he works, when we think of what our purpose in this world is. If we don't start there, that God loves us. We've been brought to this place to the magnificent reality that Jesus is Lord. Like, what a gift that he has brought us there. We can't can't miss that. You know, we, we, we get so caught up on theological terms as we're trying to work through this and kind of like you know, just these, these different distractions, and we missed the beautiful reality that He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. Let's look at the word poured here. God poured His love into us. It's used elsewhere to describe the blood of the covenant that was poured out. We see that in Matthew 26, 28. We see it uh, in the word shed, the righteous blood shed in persecution. We see that in Matthew 26. Um, 23:35. And we also see the wine spilled out. That word spilled is the same word. the word the wine spilled out in the bursting of the wine skins in Luke 5:37. We also see it in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2:18. Why do I throw all those at you? What does all this mean? It means that this is not some clean contained pouring out quick illustration. When Amber and I cook, it is hilarious. When she cooks, like when all is said and done, you have a beautiful dish and you can't really tell that anything else happened in the kitchen. Like when I cook, it is amazing. Within 30 seconds, I'm immediately like, like if it's baked, like I I just made brownies. She asked me to make, but she was very brave. Um, But I made brownies and I I mean like my first thing was pouring the the flour and just it was everywhere. And then, like, you know, you're supposed to, like, measure your stuff, and baking is a science, apparently, is what I've heard, so you've got to be really exact, and it's always just, like, like, splashing everywhere, and, like, there's oil, and I'm like, how did it get on the ceiling? I don't even know. I didn't even turn on the blender. And so, like, in this illustration, the way that I cook is the way that God loves us. It is not just neat and contained and measured. It is overwhelming, and it just spills out on all of you in all of your life. It overwhelms. It is the overwhelming flood of God's love. Charles Hodge says this, God's love does not descend upon us as dew in drops, where, and then I'm interjecting where it sits on our skin, but as a stream which spreads itself abroad through the whole soul, filling it with the consciousness of his presence and favor. The verb pour we're talking about here is in the perfect tense. And all that really means is that it is an action that is complete and will stay complete forever. So God's love being poured into us is like the valley that fills and is flooded forever. What we're seeing here is God's love does not leak. It doesn't diminish over time. So to say that our hope will not put us to shame because God poured his love into us by the Holy Spirit that was given to us, do you see the kindness of God? He's not leaving it up to us to stay confident. He's not making it up to our ability to conceptualize the infinite things of who He is and what He claims. He says, first and, first off, first and foremost, you need to know how I see you and how I feel about you. Because all these other things are difficult. You need to know that I love you and I like you. And I want you as my own. I've moved heaven and earth. I've sent my only son, Jesus, to take on your sin so that you could be saved. And I I raised him again. I overcame death. The significance of the Holy Spirit being the facilitator of God pouring his love into us, it can't be missed. The Holy Spirit enables us to live a life of power. He turns our affections to the things of God. He inclines our hearts to God's will. He gives us dissatisfaction for the things that pull us away from that. He gives us the desire to live out God's will and way. The Holy Spirit is also the one who reminds us of God's love for us. You know, Last week, in this, and, we, and we alluded to it today, Jesus ascended to the throne to advocate our righteousness before God. He presents our righteousness in himself, in his blood before God. The Holy Spirit is also an advocate. The Holy Spirit is actually advocating to us all that God is. So not just that his law is good, advocating that, oh, wait, it is worth pursuing living a life of obedience. He's actually saying, no, don't forget. God loves you. You're distracted from like, wait, 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 wait. Get out of the weeds. Let's come back to this. God loves you. So the Holy Spirit given to us, is, and we we, we see elsewhere, like the Holy Spirit sustains our faith. That's what we're talking about here, is the Holy Spirit calling out, I love you. I love you. It's God saying, I love you. I love you. Look what I've done for you. You're mine. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, that our hope will not put us to shame. We will not be proven fools. It will not fall apart. We will not lose the favor of God. And so you don't forget, I have poured my love into you. By the Holy Spirit, which I've given you forever. You can't do anything about it. I've done that. Amen. I hope it sticks. So what we see in closing is that God has done the work to save us in Jesus. And he's done the work to sustain our hope by pouring his love into us by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. So we can live with hope and peace, resulting in a life of boldness, courage, freedom, Humility, all that comes with that, when we are not bound by the things of this world, we can see the world through the lens of the way that God sees. We can see it through the lens of the gospel, see it through the lens of hope, see it through the lens of love. And by the way, God's love is not just for you, it's for everyone in this world. That same love that we're talking about, for you and those who are in Christ, it is the same love that is calling a world that hates God. Because remember, that was you. Whether you know it or not, you you hated God. So the whole world is under this love, and God is longing for them in the same way. So we have this opportunity to see the world in that way. It's not a us and them. It's not, you know, we, we just have this opportunity to live courageous whole lives. And as we persevere, as we grow in our character and endurance and our hope, it actually will do something to those around us. It will call them in to, wait, there's something real. There's an opportunity here. I, I'm missing something I'm this, whole, this hole that I have felt, wait, maybe there's something else. So persevere in your trials so that you may grow stronger, that, it may you, that you may grow in your Christ-like character, that you may grow in hope kept by the love of God, administered by the Holy Spirit, so that all could know the loving, redeeming work of God in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, I'm humbled and amazed at your love and the way that you have worked in love and grace to redeem and restore me. And Lord, in great patience, as you endure my meandering and my wondering and distraction and defiance, your love and grace holds me So I pray, Lord, this would make us a people of faith and of confidence and of humility and of proactive love in this world to hold out the truth of Jesus. Lord, in life, in deed, and in word, let us understand how to do it together in a way that reveals your your character, your image in a greater way, never elevating or something above what you've called us to be and do. But I thank you for this time that we have of communion to remember the work of Christ. Let us remember well, respond well, in Jesus' name. Amen.